So at this time, I'm going to ask you to uh, take your Bibles out again and move to Galatians chapter 3. The message title is Keep On Keeping On. Galatians 3 verses 1 to 14. This event happened many years ago. I asked my wife this morning, I, I said, because I just wasn't sure about the date, and I said, Pearl, do you remember when we went to Mount Rushmore? And she said, yes. And she started right away into this story that I'm going to tell you because it was just such a significant story. Our children were young when we decided to take a trip to Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. We had everything planned out and uh, and we, well we started out with a 1981 Chev Caprice classic and a 6.5 diesel engine pulling a 17-foot camper trailer we had done our research behind Mount Rushmore is a KOA campground and so we decided that's where we we're going to camp, behind Mount Rushmore in the KOA campground. And then we're going to enjoy Mount Rushmore and, of course, the Black Hills and everything around there. And so we started out. The problem was that nobody told us that to get to the KOA campground, you had to climb up to Mount Rushmore. And then you went down and there was the campground. Now, I told you we were driving a 1981 Chev Caprice Classic with a 6.5 diesel engine. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> wow, it was not good. And we were pulling this 16-foot camper trailer. The grade, it doesn't look that way as you're looking at the highway. The grade is a 9% grade. A mile long, well, it's really four miles of uphill. But the last kilometer is the, is the steepest grade. And we were moving up and the car kept going slower and slower and slower. I could swear that at the end, I could walk faster than the car was going. And we heard that diesel engine fire on each cylinder. We could actually like hear and count as we were going. Every time it fired, we'd move a little forward. And Pearl and I were praying and thinking, oh my if this car stops, it's going to roll backwards. And there was no place to turn around. Nobody wants to slide backwards. We finally made it to the top and started down to the campground. Whew. The car was faithful. Oh, God was faithful. And we realized that's not a trip to do with this car and trailer. As believers, we don't want to be backsliders. But it can happen. That which we started with, we need to finish with. This is so important. We need to keep on keeping on. And that's what Paul is trying to tell the Galatian churches in these 14 verses of Galatians chapter 3. Our salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. 
but we also become holy through Jesus Christ alone. The churches in Galatia were a frustration to Paul. I can't imagine this, that a church could at times be a frustration to a pastor. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, right? Okay, well, they were a frustration to Paul. They were making choices that were moving them away from God. That's what was happening. They were moving towards trying to finish the Christian life in their own strength. Doing it their way instead of God's way. And I, and I think, you know, there's even a song, did it my way or whatever goes, right? You know, that's, isn't that so typical of us? We want to do it our way, right? They accepted Jesus Christ as, as their Savior, but now as they move towards holiness, they're trying to do it in their own power. They don't realize that they were moving backwards. It looks like holiness, but it's not. And it can happen. It can happen so easy to all of us. The words that God guides Paul to write in these first 15 verses of Galatians and the tone of these words create on a scale of 1 to 10, they definitely emphasize frustration. So on a scale of 1 to 10, the words and the tone, I would say, would be a 10. And remember, God is guiding Paul in these words. So not only is Paul frustrated, but God is frustrated. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. You foolish Gentiles, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? To capture the intensity, you can finish reading. To capture the intensity, J.B. Phillips, in the Phillips translation, translates these verses, he starts, I won't read all of them, he starts this way. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, who has been casting a spell over you? Yeah, you talk about frustration. And in the Greek, believe me, believe me, it is frustration. The New English Bible, you stupid Galatians, you must be bewitched. How could you miss it? The NIV, of course, kind of smoothens it out a little bit for our culture because we kind of push back from something like that. Paul is frustrated with this church or the churches in Galatia. And God, who is directing Paul to the very choice of words, we can see God is frustrated. And as I think of that, I wonder, well, I know, I believe God gets frustrated with me at times. I can imagine at times saying, and not just imagine, I know, he says, Frank, when are you going to learn to trust me fully? I think we've all heard that from God. 
When are you going to trust me fully? When are you going to let go of self? When are you going to let go of your own talents? When are you going to let go and grab onto me completely? It seems so easy to forget that God purchased our salvation 100% through Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus paid it all. And nothing has changed. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul points in these verses first to Jesus, the author of our faith. Jesus crucified. Paul declared Jesus crucified to the, to the believers, to the Gentiles in Galatia. And he declare Jesus crucified in such a way that he uses the word portrayed him crucified. He painted a picture of the punishment and what Jesus went through for the Galatians. And then Paul points to Abraham, who the Jewish people would say is the start of their faith. And Paul quotes Genesis 15, 5, where God says, and that we find in Galatians 3, 6, but it's in Genesis 15, 6. I think I got a 16, 6 there. Believe God, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness you see salvation is by faith salvation has always been by faith the Old Testament is so clear in this Abraham who the Jews would call the father of their faith was saved not by the law but by faith. Remember, the law doesn't come about till 400 years later with Moses. And if we go further back, we come to Noah. Noah, who was saved, and his entire family, by faith in God. Nothing changes. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Paul is saying, the Jews point back to Abraham, but you and I today, us as Gentiles, we too can point back to Abraham. We too can use him as an example of faith. We too can say he's one of our fathers of faith. He's our father of faith. We too can say the same thing. Abraham believed in God. And Abraham is an example of faith to us as well as to the Jewish people. But there's more to Abraham than just an example of faith. God's plan was to take on human form through a descendant of Abraham. Mary, who gave birth to Jesus as a direct descendant of Abraham. And that's why God said to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. It's in reference to the land of Israel or to the Jewish people. And then God says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through Abraham. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham through Mary, his birth mother. So then we go back to our scripture passage, Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's you and I, we're Gentiles, we're not Jews. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So the, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Abraham is more than an example of faith. The promise of the Savior points to Abraham, and through the Savior, we are justified. God promised a Savior to Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned. He not only made them a promise, he also gave them a picture. And so often we miss this. Genesis 3, 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The fig leaves that Adam and Eve sewed together to cover their shame, to try and cover the fact that they had disobeyed God was inadequate. The works that we do are inadequate. They can't take away our sin. They can't cover our sin. They're just inadequate. The fig leaves were inadequate. Our works fall short. And so God took the life of an animal. Blood was shed. And the skin of the animal was used to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. Of course, an animal sacrifice could not pay for our sin. But it reminds us of our sin. An animal sacrifice reminds us that only through the shedding of blood can sin be forgiven. But an animal can't pay the price of our sin. Someone who is sinless. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God is sinless. God took on human form. Jesus was crucified. He redeemed us. Genesis 3, 13, Galatians 3, 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Catch that last sentence, so important. God redeemed us. He paid the price for our sin. God is our creator. And we gave ourselves to sin 
And now there's a debt that needs to be paid. And we're unable to pay that debt. So God pays the debt. He sets us free. He buys us back. The word redeemed. Maybe a modern day example of the word redeemed would be when you go to the pawn shop and you sell something to the pawn shop. You're really not selling it to them. You're really making a loan, but you're selling it to the pawn shop. And you can purchase it back from the pawn shop, but you have to purchase it back for the price that you sold it to them for. So the loan that you received plus interest. You have then redeemed what you sold. And so that's the picture or the concept. Because God redeemed us, we are also justified by God, not by our works. Okay? Not by obedience to God's law. God says that we are justified by our faith. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So we have two important words here. Redeemed and justified. Things that God has done to, for our salvation. Justify Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So we move, we could say, from a state of sin, from injustice, to the state of grace, to the state of just being justified, or justice by faith. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons our sin and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So that's what takes place. And so the scriptures tell us that those who are righteous are those who live by faith alone. Live by faith alone is faith and faithfulness together. Live by the work of Christ on the cross and live by Christ every day. Jesus Christ, my Savior. Jesus Christ, my Sanctifier. We live by the work of Christ, and it's more than just salvation. It's holiness. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Christ empowering us for holy living. Christ in us, the hope of glory. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. The clues are there in our scripture passage. Galatians 3 verse 2. 
I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And the answer is, you received the Spirit by believing what you heard. You received your salvation by believing what you heard. You received the Holy Spirit at the same time. It continues. Galatians 3.3 3. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? You see, it's the Spirit that's involved with Christ that gives us life. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Galatians 3, 5. So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? The answer is, Again, by belief, by faith, by faith. You see, we can't separate faith from faithfulness. And we try to separate that. But you can't separate it. Faithfulness is not achieved by us working harder. Faithfulness is achieved through the Holy Spirit living in us moving us towards holiness. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The thing is, the Holy Spirit is more than just a deposit, we could say, more than just that savings account for the rainy day. The Holy Spirit is given to you to lead and guide and direct you in holiness. To become more like Christ. How does this work? What does this look like? I'm going to grab an example from Scripture for us to understand this. In the book of Acts. We studied the book of Acts about a year ago. And when we come to the book of Acts, we come to Cornelius. The first Gentile convert. Okay? The church is being born. And the first Gentile convert that's recorded for us in the scriptures. It begins with Peter. Remember Peter staying with, in, in Joppa, he's there and, and a sheet comes down with all kinds of unclean animals. And then Cornelius comes or sends his servants and they knock on the door. Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile. And Peter gets there and he starts talking about the vision and everything else like that. But here in Acts chapter 10, I'm going to move us really fast through, but all of Acts 10 tells us about this. 
But in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, so Peter was saying to, the, to Cornelius and to that household everything that Jesus had done on the cross and then all about this sheet coming down with unclean animals and God saying, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I've never done anything unclean. And God says, what I've made clean is clean, you know, and, and all of that. Here we are, Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on those who heard the message. Those who believed, Cornelius and his household, they believed, and the Holy Spirit came on them. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, they were astonished. <gasps> What's going on here? The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles. Because when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit accompanies every believer. Faith and faithfulness are linked together through the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness or holiness is, is not... Uh, achieved by, by trying harder or following Jewish laws, by not eating pork or, or keeping Jewish holy days or anything else like that. Holiness is through the Holy Spirit living in you. His power transforming you into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a transformation from the inside out, not from the outside in. I mean, you can't transform from the outside in. It just doesn't work. You don't change the inside. You can wash the pot on the outside all you want, but it's still dirty on the inside. But when you start on the inside, then it all transforms. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He is the power for holiness or Christ-likeness. And this is the point that Paul is making here. And when we move away from the power of the Holy Spirit, we are beginning to backslide. So Galatians 3.14, Paul says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. The blessing, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So he makes it so clear. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You might get caught up on the word might in the NIV. Don't get caught up on that word because you, you're taking it probably in the wrong way. You're thinking it sounds like possibly I, I might receive the Holy Spirit. This is not what is meant. The might is in reference to us embracing that we would embrace. We receive the Holy Spirit. But many times the Holy Spirit does not receive us. In other words, we hold off. We don't give ourselves totally to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't yield. We don't allow him to rule and reign in our lives to give us power for holiness. 
the continuing action of faith is faithfulness. And Jesus made that promise of the Holy Spirit to his disciples and to us, John 14, 15 to 17. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The word world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Connect this with Acts 1, 4, and 5. On one occasion while he was eating with them, meaning Jesus was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The promise is the Holy Spirit. Power to live life. We've been justified through faith in Jesus. We have been redeemed through the work of Christ on the cross and we are empowered through the Holy Spirit living in us. So don't start the backslide. Keep on keeping on. No matter how tough it may seem, We might be living in a secular country, in a secular world. And it might get tough. But we keep on keeping on. We strive towards holiness, towards faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We strive to become more and more Christ-like. If you're struggling this morning in your Christian faith, Struggling maybe in the areas of reading the Bible. Maybe lying. Maybe anger. Maybe unforgiveness. Maybe addictions. Whatever you're struggling with, you will not overcome in your own strength and power. You can put up all the fences you want to. It won't work. It won't. Only through the Holy Spirit Will you gain victory? So don't try harder. No, ask God. Ask God for his promise, for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Jesus tells us to do that, to ask for the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Really simple. Prayer. You start by saying, Lord Jesus, I have a problem. Why don't we do that right now? Why don't we bow our heads in prayer? And I'll walk you through it. I'll walk you through it. Just bow your head in prayer. And just start. Oh, Lord Jesus, I have a problem with. And you name that problem, whether it's reading God's word, pornography, anger, lying, whatever it is. Just say, Lord, I have a problem with. And continue, Father, I know 
that I have not relied on your power and your strength fully. Father, I believe you have given me your Holy Spirit to indwell in me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, remove from my heart this, and just say what the problem is, this problem. Give me power to overcome and to walk faithfully with you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.